0: Bible Institute. So we have a Bible Institute. There, are, we added a bunch more students. There are 864 students, and um, I think that's what I added three today. They come in from all over the world. It's kind of uh, it's fun to watch it happen. We just had another associate's degree awarded to a uh, young man in Nigeria. Yes, so uh, that's kind of fun to watch them work and and move ahead and be a part of their and um, So most of these folks, too, a lot of them are already involved in ministry, and we get to help them and come alongside them and encourage them uh, with our Bible Institute. This is kind of a cool thing to be a part of, knowing that uh, here in this little tiny place, uh, this little island, we're actually impacting uh, lots of places all over the world for Jesus in all the different ways that we can. That's one of them. So um, those of you guys that are watching online, you are taking the course, too, welcome, And uh, we're glad to have you with us. Uh, Anybody can be involved in the Bible Institute. It's free. Uh, You complete 20 courses. You earn an associate's degree. You complete 40 courses. You earn a bachelor's degree in ministry. And um, that continues to happen. There's 117 or 18 courses right now. And um, those of you guys that are here, uh, you know, you actually, if you're coming anyway, if you want to go ahead and register for the Bible Institute, these all count towards completing a course. There's a little extra work to get the course credit for it, but not much. You've got to write a paper and answer some questions, but not overly difficult. Do a little reading, but um, you can be finishing courses this way, and our weekend services too. Those those series are being wrapped into courses as well. So the uh, same deal goes. If you're listening to them anyway, you would like to start working towards a degree, you can, and it's no charge. Just take some time and effort. but uh, Or you can just come and hang out, which is cool too. So... We're glad that you're here. So we're working through 1st Samuel right now. We're actually doing an Old Testament survey uh, in this. uh, We've gone from Genesis through 1st Samuel. Um, We're spending a little extra time in 1st Samuel because it's kind of an introduction to some pretty important people, um, that being King Saul and King David and Samuel, of course, with no slouch. Uh, And so we need to spend some time on the things that are happening in the kingdom and in the monarchy and remember we've already seen how Israel demanded uh, a king even though God was their king uh, they had the best king that there could ever be but they wanted to be like everybody else and even though that they were told if you get a king he's gonna tax you and he's gonna take your stuff and he's gonna put you in servitude and and, uh, they said that's what we want so God lets them have their way Uh, he knew it was coming we looked at that back in Deuteronomy and um, remember the, the kings were told Okay, fine, but the three things you can't multiply yourself, which is uh, horses and wives and gold. Those three things don't do if you're a king, and every king did except for Jesus, the one true king. But every single one of them does exactly what they're not supposed to do, and that's why they're issues. So now we're um, looking at... Saul's been made king, but Saul has already gone way off the rails. He he went really quickly uh, and did things that he wasn't supposed to do. It went right to his head being king. Um, and, and God has already said, I'm done with you as king. Um, David has been anointed to be king and yet from the time that he's anointed to the time he be- actually becomes king, there's about 15 years at least to transpire and uh, lots of different things take place in that process, um, but, but he's been anointed king. So we're picking up the action in First Samuel 18 and uh, David uh, Jonathan and David become friends, so, so Jonathan is Saul's son, and, and they have a very tight bond, uh, and um, it says in, in 1 Samuel 18, uh, beginning in 1, after David had finished talking to Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself, and so initially, um, we'll keep reading, from that day Saul kept David with him, and did not let him return to his father's house, so David has been brought now into Saul's household, um, Jonathan makes a covenant with him, it says, in verse 3, um, uh, with David, because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. And whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. And when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes and as they danced they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands and Saul was very angry this refrain galled him, I love the scripture they have credited David with tens of thousands he thought but me with only thousands what more can he get but the kingdom and from that time on Saul kept a jealous eye on David. So I think he already had one on David. But from that time on particularly, um, he, uh, he understands somehow, you know, David is a threat. Um, if we pop down to verse 20, Saul's daughter Michael was in love with David. And when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. I will give her to him, he thought, so that she may be a snare to him and so that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. So Saul said to David, Now you have a second opportunity to become my son-in-law. Then Saul ordered his attendants, speak to David privately and say, look, the king is pleased with you and his attendants, all like you, now become his son-in-law. And they repeated these words to David. But David said, do you think it's a small matter to become the king's son-in-law? I'm only a poor man and little known. When Saul's servants told him what David had said, Saul replied, say to David, the king wants no other price for the bride than a hundred Philistine foreskins to take revenge on his enemies. It's kind of gross. It's a trap. He he thinks that David can't do that, that the Philistines are going to kill him, and that eliminates his problem. Saul's plan was to have David fall by the hands of the Philistines. And when the attendants told David these things, he was pleased to become the king's son-in-law. So before the allotted time elapsed, David and his men went out and killed 200 Philistines. He brought their foreskins and presented the full number to the king so that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him his daughter Michael in marriage, and when Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michael loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him and he remained his enemy the rest of his days the Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle and as often as they did David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers and his name became well known so David becomes very well known in the kingdom of Israel um, throughout the land as a mighty warrior uh, and uh, obviously has great favor with God and now he's married to Saul's daughter and Saul it couldn't be more unhappy at the turn of events, and, uh, and so um, he's, he's going to at this point actively try and kill him, it picks up the action in verse 19, um, verse 1, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David, but Jonathan was very fond of David and warned him, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you, be on your guard tomorrow morning, going to hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak with him about you and will tell you what I find out. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, and his father said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for Israel. You saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death so part of Saul's problem is that he's got no integrity because he can't keep his word so Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation he brought him to Saul and David was with Saul as before Um, now we got to look at this next part because people ask me about this all the time once more war broke out I'm in verse 8 and David went out and fought the Philistines he struck them with such force that they fled before him but an evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he was sitting in his house with a spear in his hand. And while David was playing the harp, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with a spear. But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night David made good his escape. Uh, at that point David becomes a fugitive and he will remain one until the very end of first, this whole chapter of First Samuel. But people ask me about an e- evil spirit from the Lord. What is it happening? What is that? What's going on? So there's two sort of options There's probably more, but two options is enough. Um, The evil spirit being from the Lord uh, in that it was allowed by God to harass Saul. So in effect, um, when God takes his hand off of Saul, um, he's in essence giving the evil one and his demons permission to do what they wanted to do with Saul. That's option one. That's what's going on. Um, The other option is that the evil spirit that they're talking about could just have been... um, saul 's own bad attitude and disposition and and his hor- horrendous you know thought process in the process and uh, uh, the, the reality of his own actions in disobeying the Lord and losing the throne and his dynasty made him uh, jealous and irrational and vindictive so it, it could just be that, that this was just his action as being so separated from the Lord that uh, he was totally operating in the flesh uh, and and in, in the you know the sinful nature of, that we all have um, to an extreme. And he would do that in the process. Um, <clears throat> I think what we learn from it that is we have to be careful that we talk here all the time about being yielded to the Holy Spirit in our lives. Areas that we're not yielding to God um, can cause us a lot of trouble. I, I think if we don't, aren't getting them submitted to the will of God, that, uh, that at some level the enemy can use that weakness against us. And so we need to be aware of that in the process. So we want to be submitted to God and, and you know, in the best that we can. Obviously not perfectly, but we want to go there. Uh, then as you continue on, we get into chapter 21. So David takes off, flees for his life. He's going to be in hiding now. He's going to spend a lot of time in caves um, with his guys. Uh, he's got a, a big group of warriors that are with him. They're, they're pretty formidable uh, in the nations all around him. But David does some stuff too. So David, uh, David has a good heart. It even says, you know, in the scripture, he's a man after God's own heart, but he does a lot of messed up stuff. And again, I find that sort of helpful because uh, I still mess up sometimes. I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, it's hopeful that you can uh, remember. I think I've told you this before, but, you know the, the the reality of us in this life, and and living in uh, out of our brokenness, and learning how to live lives that please God, and yielding to the Holy Spirit, um, but that somehow, as we press through and continue to grow, but but God seeing us in the perfection of His Son, I, I love that God sees us from that heavenward view where we're already settled, and so He has this tendency to look at his kids like that and he was looking at when he's saying David's you know man after God's own heart he's seeing all of that stuff and and the other stuff fortunately um, isn't the, the highlights in the process but they're recorded for us so that we don't lose hope on this journey Well, in First uh, Samuel 21 David's on the run uh, and uh, he, he goes to Ahimelech the priest and um, he lies to him by saying that he has permission to be where he's at and and so, um, Ahimelech covers him and takes care of him, and ultimately, he David's lie will cause Ahimelech and his entire family to be killed in a couple of chapters, because David decides not to be honest there. Now, he's on the run. Maybe you can justify it, but the consequence of his lie is significant to Ahimelech and his family. And... Uh, in verse 21, and then they're on the run, and they go, this is another one of my, I keep saying everything's my favorite, I love this story, so I'm going to read it to you, It's verses 10 through 15, so David, he's fleeing from Saul, verse 10, and he went to Achish, king of Gath, so he goes to Gath, but the servants of Achish said to him, isn't this David, the king of the land, isn't he the one they sing about in their dances, Saul is slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands, so his reputation is gone now all over the, 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 you know, the world around them. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate, and <laughs> letting saliva run down his beard. That's, that's King David, acting like a crazy guy. Achish said to his servants, look at the man, he's insane. Why bring him to me? This is my favorite line. Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? <laughs> Must this man <laughs> come to my house? Like, like, Achish is saying, we don't have enough crazy of our own. We're importing crazy now. Seriously, get him out of here. Uh, and so uh, David, by pretending to be insane, um, is spared once again. So I just think that's a funny story. Uh, chapter 22, he leaves uh, Gath and he goes to the cave of Adullam and uh, his brothers and his father's household hears about it, and they go down to him, and there's actually one of the psalms is written from there, so I included that, because it's kind of nice to see how these things fit in, and David wrote a big chunk of the psalms, Psalm 57, uh, verse 1, when he had fled from Saul to the cave, have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge, I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster is past, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me, He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. Selah. Have you ever, when you read the Psalms, you you know about Selah? There's several different things that that can mean. Uh, Oftentimes people think it's a musical um, thing because the Psalms uh, were all songs. Uh, But I I actually believe that when you see a Selah like that, um, it means that you're supposed to stop there and relax for a moment and go read that part all over again. That you just read and take it back in again that it's a it's an encouragement to stop and pause and kind of rethink it through so when you're reading the psalm and you see that just so you know why is that there it's there in some psalms it's a I believe it's a, what I just described to you although it could just be a musical thing but uh, actually I think it's, a, it's it, was, it was a pause and a reflection that happens there. God sends his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions I lie among ravenous beasts. Men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. Selah. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples for great is your love reaching to the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, let your glory be over all the earth." So, I just think how amazing it is that, that this was David, again, God, God's own heart David, um, in a cave. He's got got a crazy guy after him, king, who's trying to kill him. Uh, he's been anointed king and he knows it, he trusts in God, but he's on the run and, and uh, he lives a pretty uh, tough existence for some time and yet he still uh, maintains this idea of who God is and what God has done and he's he's just constantly praising him in the process. And then um, as Saul pursues him, can't find him, he gets mad at everybody. He actually kills um, all of the priests at Nob. Saul does, which is another huge sin. Um, 1 Samuel 22, 18, the king then ordered Doeg you turn and strike down the priest so Doeg the Edomite turned and struck him down that day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod and he also put to the sword Nob the town of the priest with its men and women his children and infants and cattle donkeys and sheep so this was ordered by the king Saul and it should never have been but uh, Saul has gone off the rails completely at this point in chapter 23 verse 13 David and his men about 600 in number left Keilah and kept moving from place to place when Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah he did not go there so Saul's always trying to find him and is always trying to kill him and pursues him uh, constantly in the process and then um, this is good too Samuel 24 uh, just so you can see the chase that's taking place verse 1 after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and sent out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David rebuked his men, did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went away. So Saul's gone into the cave without realizing it, where David and his men are all back there in the cave further. He, he goes in to relieve himself, and David sneaks up on him and cuts off a corner of the robe. Then he feels bad about doing that because he's still king. Um, even though we know the process um, but he's he 's not going to do it, and so that the difference is see david 's going to wait for God to do what God wants to do in the process and and so he 's acting in a sort of a spiritual way where Saul is sort of the representation of the carnal way of doing things saul 's busily trying to get god 's program stopped there 's a huge difference so David, the king after God's own heart, is trying to do things God's way. He doesn't do it perfectly. Saul is trying to do things Saul's way. And that's really the big difference between the two. Um, Samuel goes out and tells Saul, or David goes out and tells Saul, I could have taken you out, but I'm not going to do that. It'll never be that way. And if you read through the chapter, you'll see that, that's, uh, that Saul says, you're, you're basically a better guy than me. leaves him alone for a little while, but he's not going to let it rest. He comes back after him chapter 25 is an interesting story with uh, Nabal and Abigail and uh, Nabal actually means fool, David uh, David's men asked Nabal to provide for his people some food and stuff and he refuses and David gets upset with him, David's going to kill him but Abigail steps in on his behalf, says don't let that happen and she sort of takes care of things um, in the process and uh, all the way down in verse 36 when Abigail went to Nabal he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king he was in high spirits and very drunk she told him nothing until daybreak then in the morning when Nabal was sober his wife told him all these things that she had gone and failed him Uh, she had gone and taken care of everything for David and his men his heart failed him he has a heart attack and he dies Uh, ten days later he dies and when David heard that he was dead uh, David feels like he's sort of been taken care of and he actually asked uh, Abigail to be another one of his wives. And so she joins into this whole party at that point in time. And uh, Samuel 26, there's another chance where they stumble upon Saul. He's lying asleep inside the camp. And uh, they sneak up on him, but they don't kill him because he said it's not time. We're not going to do that. And, uh, but they take his spear and uh, in his water jug. So he knows, again, he's been spared, but he's he never going to let it go. Uh, and so David and his men finally decide to um, go back to Gath, and uh, he's gonna, which is in the land of the Philistines, and he's going to live in the land of the Philistines. It's fascinating in chapter 27. So what David does is he says, listen, we're going to go on raiding parties and we're going to take care of, we're going to be raiding against the people of Israel We'll take care of ourselves, but we're going to stay here so that we're kind of safe. And so he, um, he does that thing where he goes into an area, David, and this is some of the rough stuff about David. So he'll go to an area and he'll completely wipe out everything and everybody there. And so there's no witnesses of what he's done. And he's telling the Philistines that he's wiping out places in Israel, but he's actually attacking all of the enemies of Israel uh, and the Philistines don't know it so he's telling them oh we're going over here and we're doing this but he's not and he's not leaving any witnesses anywhere so they don't find out about it for some period in time so he's doing one thing but telling Akish another and uh, attacking the enemies of Judah but telling Akish he's attacking the enemies of the Philistines and not leaving anybody around so he's the whole time he's in uh, hiding and waiting he's building up his support for what's coming in the future and then Another big thing happens is that Saul, um, in chapter 28, he's going to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord's not having it. And so um, he actually goes and consults a witch in Endor. And this is another big problem. So let's read about it. 28.6 He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or urim or prophets. So Saul said to his attendants, Find me a woman who is a medium, so I may go and inquire of her. There's one in Endor, they said. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes. And at night he and two men went to the women. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring uh, bring up for me the one I name. But the woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done. He's cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for me to bring about my death? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, As surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Then the woman asked, What shall I bring up for you? Who shall I bring up for you? Bring up Samuel, he said. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? your Saul. The king said to her, Don't be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said, I see a spirit coming up out of the ground. What does he look like? He asked, An old man wearing a robe is coming up. She said, Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. And Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I am in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me. God has turned away from me. He no longer answers me either by prophets or by dreams. So I've called on you to tell me what to do. And Samuel said, Why do you consult me now that the Lord has turned away from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord, carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites. The Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will hand over both Israel and you to the Philistines. Tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. And the Lord will also hand over the army of Israel to the Philistines. Okay. So... This is another big thing that people bring up all the time. We're absolutely forbidden biblically to consult mediums or spiritists or anything that's all dark side stuff. And so we're told not to, particularly the king. We um, weren't supposed to do it. Uh, and so the actual scripture in Leviticus 19 is do not go for advice to people who to consult the spirit, uh, spirits of the dead. So what are the different things? What actually happens? First option. Um, the the vision that appeared to Saul through the witch wasn't really Samuel, um, and, and it means uh, the actual word for spiritist uh, is, is a, a word in Hebrew that means possessing a familiar spirit, and and so um, it, it was a trick of the enemy in the process because the Bible tells us that um, we're it's appointed for us once to die and then the judgment and um, we don't have access to the dead like that in the process. And so the enemy uses that stuff to do all sorts of things that we're not supposed to do. Uh, and, um, uh, things don't come from God in the process. Uh, so whoever was uh, appearing there in the process, it wasn't Samuel. Um, and it was just deceptions from the enemy uh, in the process. Uh, and um, can the enemy know some things that are coming? Apparently some things, they, or at least uh, there, there's some awareness. But it's not a God thing that was taking place. And uh, that's in the process. So another option is that... Um, God is somehow granting this request but we don't believe the truth to sort of show Saul how fallen, you know, how fallen he is spiritually and uh, to confirm that the end is near because of his apostasy, but um, the reality is uh, that that whole area is deceptive and needs to be stayed away from, from us biblically, so we we don't go after that kind of stuff. We, um, uh, that's a, that's a finish that we get to, you know, we get to be with people again but but until we are gone, uh, we don't get to be with them in that way. So um, that's kind of what's happening there. But it does confuse people as to what was going on and what was happening. And people try and use that to demonstrate. Oh no, these things work. But um, there's de- it's deceptive. It's familiar spirits, and uh, we're we're to stay away from it. And then uh, we get to chapter thirty. David's out on a mission. His family gets captured, but he goes and gets them all back. Um, God helps them to restore everybody and brings them back all safely. And then then chapter 20 or uh, 31, um, Saul and his family are going to be taken out finally by the Philistines. They're going to die in that journey there. Uh, verse 1 of 31, the Philistines fought against Israel. The Israelites fled before them and many fell slain on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines pressed hard after Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer was terrified and would not do it, so Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons and his armor-bearer all, and all his men died together, that same day and uh, that, uh, that kind of is the end of Saul and so David starts to pick up things here next time we get back together we're gonna see that whole hap- process happen but you've seen sort of Saul's reign it wasn't pretty um, could have been but he chose almost from the very beginning to do what he wanted instead of what God wanted and the consequences were tragic for him and his family so that's kind of where we're going to end it today. We'll pick it up next week, right there, and uh, I think we might be jumping into a new course next week, a new part of this course. So we'll see where we're at, and we'll go from there. But that'll wind it up for today. For watching my video, thanks for watching. See you soon. All right, I need prayer requests. Thanks for watching this broadcast from Keys Vineyard Community Church in Big Pine Key, Florida. Be sure to like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information, log on to keysvineyard.com. We'll see you next time.